Guys, good to be with you guys today. Uh, hey, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Philippians. If you've got a Bible, we'd love for you to take it out. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I would love to get to know you after the service. Uh, we are so excited that you guys are here. Okay, so if you're new here to Salt Company, I just want to say thanks for being here. Glad that you could join us on the night of Friendsgiving. Wow, how great were the soups? Did you guys like the soups? Yes, underrated meal. I agree. Okay, so that's great. Uh, we're really glad that you guys are here, and we're thankful that we get to do this together. So, hey, Ben, am I good? Are we got some static? No? Okay. That's great. That's great. Let's get into it. So let me pray as we enter into our time together. Father, we believe that you are wanting to move in a mighty way in this place. Pray that you would transform us and change us and mend us and mold us to be more like you. Uh, pray that, Jesus, you would help to remind us of your faithfulness to us. Pray that we would be changed and be more like you, Jesus. Father, thanks for the opportunity to gather in worship. And pray that your grace would be sufficient for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Ben, I'm going to switch it out. Box three. Let's do it. Box three. Soon. Yes. Okay, great. All right. Tough start. Technical difficulties. You guys get it. So here's how we'll start. Give me a shout if you're a business student here. Yeah. Yeah, great. LinkedIn. Yeah, you guys are going to be rich. Good for you. Okay. When I was in college, I did not study Bible, did not study pastoral studies. I studied business, okay? Entrepreneurial management and finance. And here's why. It's because I wanted to be stupid rich. You know what I'm saying? Like cabin, boat, like Minnetonka rich. Like that was my vision for life. It was great. I didn't learn anything clearly because of what I'm doing now. But anyways, but anyways, here's what I learned, guys. I learned some special tips, let me tell you. One of them is uh, business school is not at all about being a good student. It's about learning how to kill interviews. You guys get it? Yeah, have you guys been in an interview? Yeah, it doesn't matter what your GPA is, but they want you to be good at it. Okay, so here are a couple tips that I learned for interviews. This is for all of you guys. You can take it, it's free. You say stuff really cringy like this. The biggest problem that I have is that I care too much, you know? <laughs> I'm just such a people person. Like, honestly, it's a bit of a problem. I'll do anything for the bottom line. Like, how sketchy is that? You're going to jail for sure. That's Enron stuff, okay? Interviews, tragic, business school. That's all you need to know. You can just do that. Here's what else I learned in business school. I learned that the essence of business school wasn't even about being a good student. It was about building a good resume. Okay, so here's what a resume is. It's basically a list of things that you've done and accolades that you've achieved to prove to people that your life is worth it and that your life is meaningful. And so here's a segue into our sermon tonight. I don't just think that's the essence of business school. I think that's actually the essence and the fundamental building blocks of the society that we live in, that you are called by society to build your resume. I was thinking about this, guys. I'm an Enneagram 3. Anyone else? Enneagram 3? That's Bennett. She's an Enneagram 3 for sure. Here's the thing. I'm like an Enneagram 3 in bold, okay? Like you can't square it because that would be a 9, but I'm an Enneagram 3 in bold. And part of that is just because of my wiring, but part of that is because when we came here to the United States like 20 years ago, we were incredibly poor. And so most of my life I've spent in this pursuit of building a resume, building a list of reasons and things and accolades that I have done in order to show other people that my life is valuable and that I'm worth it. 
But here's the problem with spending the rest of your life building a resume the way that the world wants you to do, is that eventually you'll get incredibly tired of trying to prove to other people that your life is valuable. Or you'll live with this low-grade anxiety that one day everything on your resume will actually come true. You'll achieve everything you've wanted to achieve, and it still won't be enough. So, Alchemy, that's the conversation we're going to be having tonight. As we look into Philippians 3, we're going to be looking at a man who had achieved everything he wanted to achieve and yet found something so much better. Okay, open up your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 9. Philippians 3, 1 through 9. Okay, two parts to this sermon tonight, that building a resume is ultimately joyless and bankrupt. And then we'll end with the better alternative, so we'll actually get some good news tonight, okay? Look with me to verses 1 to 2 at the joylessness of building a resume. Verse 1 says this, Finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Okay, so Paul starts this chapter with a familiar saying, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, so if you've been coming to Saul Company for the last couple weeks, we have been moving through this book called the Book of Philippians, where we're looking at this idea of radical joy. How does Paul have radical joy in the midst of imprisonment? Like, think how much your life would suck if you're with Paul in the prison, and he's just like, man, following Jesus is so joyful, and you're like, no. Okay, that's where Paul's at. He's like, man, I've got radical joy, a joy that supersedes my circumstances. And so this beginning of the chapter is actually consistent with that. And then we flip from rejoice in the Lord to verse 2, where he actually says something incredibly weird. He says, look out for the dogs, the evildoers, and the mutilators of the flesh. Here's who Paul's talking about in verse 2. He's talking about anyone He's talking about specifically the Judaizers. Now, I know that's a big word, but basically that means that there were people in that time, there were Christians that used to be Jews that became Christians, and they would actually impose onto other people extra biblical burdens, things that weren't in the Bible, but they made you believe that you needed to do. In other words, these were type of people that would look at you and say, hey, I get that Jesus is great, but you need to do a little bit more. I get that Jesus is beautiful, but you got to do a little bit more to earn your salvation, that if you want to be fully loved and fully known by God, then Jesus is the starting point, but he's not the end. In other words, verse 2 type of people were Jesus plus religion type of people. They're religious resume builders. Okay, so all of us know people like this, right? Like, like maybe for some of you guys, you guys grew up in circles. I remember the church I first went to was full of like crotchety old Asian women. I love them, but they would squeeze my cheeks. And I was like, don't do that. Why would you do that to me? Don't do that. I'm like eight years old. Like that was so last year, okay? I hated it. I hated it. Very frustrating. But I went to a church where, where they mentioned Jesus, but the emphasis was not on what Jesus had done, but it was actually on what I needed to do. The emphasis wasn't on the good news of the gospel. It was actually this somewhat bad news that Jesus was a starting point, but really I had to do these right things. I had to be a little bit more religious. I had to do more good works in order to fully know that God would love me. It kind of looks a couple different ways. One is in the traditional church, in like the pews, the robes type of Christianity, it was Jesus plus baptism as a baby to be saved. It was Jesus plus being confirmed to really know that God loves you. 
is Jesus plus memorizing the right verses and praying the right prayers in order for you to know that God actually loves you. But in modern Christianity, the new hype social media Christian age, it's actually Jesus plus being really cool. If you want to know the fullness of joy that Jesus has to offer you, then you better live a pretty cool life. It's actually Jesus plus having a political leaning. You'll hear people in our society that will say things like, there's no way that you could be a Christian and have this or that type of political leaning. Verse 2 type of people are people who want to convince you that in order to really be right with God, you need to have Jesus plus something else. Okay, so here's a connection between rejoicing in the Lord and a warning against religious resume builders. Paul's seemingly odd transition between verse 1 and verse 2, that the greatest threat to soul-level joy isn't irreligion or secularism, but is actually destructive religion. Okay, so here's my caveat to that, that here at Salt Company, we are not feel-good Christians, okay? So if you leave every Thursday and you're like, oh my gosh, I feel so affirmed in everything that I'm currently doing, we've failed our jobs. Because the simple reality of the Bible is that when you read the Bible, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, it's this brutal moment where you read the Bible and then it reads you and you're like, ah, I feel attacked. Yeah, that happens like all the time when you read the Bible. And so if we're going to be people who teach the Bible here, you're not going to leave this place always feeling good, but you'll always leave this place having good news. And so what we'll do here is what's called gospel-centered call to repentance. That when you believe the beauty of the gospel, your life begins to change in reflection to that. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not, calling, he's not talking about ditching, calling people to a holy standard and following Jesus. What Paul is talking about here is this extra-biblical burden that people put onto people to convince people that you actually need something more than Jesus in order to be saved and loved. So I'll come to here's why building out your resume will leave you joyless and completely distraught. Because you cannot find joy in the Lord in the middle of trying to earn your own salvation. You cannot rejoice when you're building your resume. This is the saddest thing that so many people have been convinced that Christianity is about religion, about trying to be good to get to God. But here's all that leads to. It leads to spending the rest of your life trying to get good versus trying to know God. And it will leave you completely empty and distraught. So building your resume will leave you ultimately joyless. But even as we look at that idea that building your resume will leave you ultimately joyless, it's not just a spiritual reality. Although when you look at this list that we're about to read here, it feels really spiritual, like it feels really religious. But even from a worldly perspective, here's what we're going to learn in these next couple verses as we look into Philippians chapter 3. That building a resume is not just joyless because religion is void of joy, but it's joyless because it's also bankrupt. Look with me to verses 3 through 6. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, 
blameless. Okay, so these verses right here are what's known as Paul's pedigree. Okay, it's his own resume. And here's what we learn from this text, that Paul had all the reason to be confident in his flesh, to believe in himself, to self-exalt, and to self-actualize who he would have been. And guys, this is what this section of scripture shows us, that if anyone in the entire history of the world could have been good enough to earn their own salvation, it would have been Paul. And if anyone in the entire world had accumulated enough accolades and accomplishments to earn their own satisfaction, it would have been Paul. Look with me to verse 5. Here's what he says. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. Okay. This is an odd concept. I just want to clarify something here. Because when you read this, you can be like, what the heck? You do not have to be circumcised to be a Christian. Okay, I just want to make that very clear. It's maybe helpful for medical reasons, but not for salvation. Okay, so just want to make that clear. Here's what Paul is saying. That he was circumcised on the eighth day, which is a sign that he was actually born into the Jewish faith. One of the ways that they distinguished between Jews and other people of that time, this was 2,000 years ago and part of Judeo law, was that they would circumcise their kids on the eighth day, right after they were born. Boom. Born, little baby, circumcised. That's how they would do it. That's how they would signify a distinctive of the Jewish people. In other words, what Paul is trying to show us here is that he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Jew right from the birth. He was entrenched in religion. Okay, so here's like the modern-day equivalent of what Paul's trying to describe you, okay? He was born in a Christian home. There was nativity scenes everywhere. You know what I mean? Like every room of the house. They're always there. It's like not even Christmas. The third word you ever said was Jesus. You know, I was like, mommy, daddy, Jesus. Like you're, at Salt City, we Simba babies. We're like, ooh, look at them. Like we do that. Like you were the Simba kid. You were born in a Christian home. And what we're going to find out in this text is that that doesn't actually save you. And I know that might sound a little bit harsh. Like, what do you mean, dude? I, I grew up in a Christian home. That means I'm a Christian. But here's what we learn in the Bible is that God, frankly, doesn't really care what zip code you grew up in whether or not you had nativity scenes or not, or if you know a couple Bible verses. What, Paul, what God wants for you is a transformation of the heart. We're going to come back to that. But the second thing that we see is that he was accomplished. Look with me to verse 6. I kind of cheated. It's like the end of verse 5 and then verse 6. Yeah, okay. A Pharisee, as the zeal of persecutor of the church, as a righteousness under the law, blameless. Okay, so Paul was a Pharisee. Now, I know I'm like breaking down a couple different things right now, but you need to know this. Pharisees were like pastors, okay, but like a religious leader. But he wasn't just like a peasant pastor like me. He was like a really good one, okay? And he had studied under the feet of Gamiel. So the only way that I could think of of like how I wanted you guys to know this is like if you're from the Catholic tradition, it'd be like in, being in the Pope's C group, okay? Like he was, he was being discipled by like the guy, and it was awesome. And he had really risen to a certain level of effectiveness. I was thinking about that. I was like, can you imagine how awkward that? Anyways, it'd be cool for some people. Anyways, uh... <laughs> He was so religious, get this, he was so religious, by the, by the time he was 10 years old, he would have had the first five books of the Bible memorized, okay? Most of us in here have not even read the first five books of the Bible. By 10 years old, he had it completely memorized. See, Paul's pedigree is that of religious excellence, but not just of religious excellence, but actually societally, he was actually kind of famous. Amongst the Jews, he was known as the next Gamaliel. He was known as the next pope, whatever you want to describe it. He was known as the next guy. Paul had achieved everything that he had ever wanted. Okay, so what's the point that I'm making here? Here's the point that I'm trying to make. If anyone could be saved by his upbringing and his home life, it was Paul. 
And yet where Paul grew up or his ethnic roots did not save him and it cannot save you. I just want to make it abundantly clear. There's some of you who grew up in a certain vein of the Christian religion that has convinced you that if your parents are a Christian, that you are automatically a Christian. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that. People may have convinced you that if you took the right class or you got the right dunk or whatever it is that you are a Christian, the Bible does not say that. Paul, if anyone could be saved by his upbringing and his home life, it would have been Paul. But that upbringing did not save him. The only thing that can save you if you want to be a Christian in this room tonight is the blood of Jesus. That is the only thing that can save you. Okay, the next thing that we see is that if anyone could be satisfied by his accomplishments, it was Paul. Okay, guys, think about it. Paul had, like, achieved everything. Like, think, I don't know what your goals are. Like, I don't know if you want to have, like, a boat. You want to be Minnetonka rich. Like, I don't know what your ambitions are. But imagine with me you achieve everything you've ever wanted. You graduate from Harvard. You're, like, magnum cum laude or whatever they call it. Like, the really smart people on the top, okay? You do that. You get the job, you get the six-figure paying job, you marry that beautiful human being and you make beautiful little babies and you have an incredible house. He had achieved everything he had ever wanted. And if anyone could be satisfied by the accomplishments that that person achieved, it would have been Paul. But here's what happened to Paul. He gained the whole world and he lost his soul. This is a quote from Jim Carrey. I like the quote because I like Jim Carrey, okay? You're going to like this. Trust me. Okay. Just have to keep, I have to like pull this. It's so uncomfortable. Anyways, here's what Jim Carrey says. I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. I know. Pretty profound for Jim. I was like, Jim, good for you. Like, I was like, I like that. Okay. Here's what happened. We're not on a first name basis, me and Jim. We don't know each other. Okay. I know him. Anyways. I got to get back to the sermon here. Okay. Here's what Paul found. That he had ascended to the peak of power, influence, wealth, and everything he ever dreamed of, and he found that joy wasn't there. I think the reason why I mention this is because I see kind of two alternative paths for most people who would claim to be Christians. Path number one is that you kind of grew up in a religious system where you started to believe that you were good enough without God that you could kind of earn your way up to God. And then eventually in this metaphorical timeline, when you're 90 years old, you're going to be so holy that God will finally accept you because of your good works. And here's what will happen to you. You will spend the next 70 years of your life looking over your shoulder, wondering if God is mad at you. Wondering if you're good enough that day, good enough that week, if a car hit you that night, if you would go to heaven. You'll spend the rest of your life completely stripped of joy, not knowing the person and work of Jesus Christ. So let me be explicit with you tonight. Your goodness cannot save you. Your righteousness cannot transform you. And God is not impressed by your good works. You need something better. And the other alternative that I see for a lot of us in this room is, I know not all of you guys are threes, but we're all kind of in like a three culture. And the alternative that I see is that you would actually put walking with Jesus in the back burner of your life. 
and you say, yes, I'm a Christian, but ultimately I need to build my own resume. I need to kind of accomplish everything that I ever want, right? I got to graduate at the top of my class. I got to make crazy money. And yeah, I'll give some of it. But I got to live a life that honors myself. I got to live a life that ascends to my goals, my dreams, my vision. And you'll spend the next 70 years of your life building your own kingdom and not building the kingdom of God. And here's my fear for you. You get one life on this side of heaven. And my fear is that one day you would look back and say, I wasted it all. I wasted it all on boats, on cabins, on things that I thought would bring me joy and satisfaction, and none of it did. And you'll look back on a life wasted. So I'll come in, I know this is not a feel-good sermon. But if you spend the rest of your life building a religious or irreligious resume, you will have bankrupted your entire life. There is no joy to be found in that resume. It cannot save you or satisfy you. Okay, so we need something better. So here's the good news. That was all the pew, good news. Look with me at verse 7. Verse 7, this is the good news. This is the better thing than our resumes. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Okay, guys, here's what Paul is saying. That at this point in his life, he had achieved everything he ever wanted. Okay, he got the stuff. He got every single dream and accolade and thing on his resume. And that resume was long, man. It was like a good resume. Would get accepted anywhere. Like he was that awesome. He had the money, the power, the wealth, the influence, the dreams, and everything you could ever dream of Paul had. And then here's what he says. Compared to something else, that is rubbish. Okay? Now, some scholars debate whether or not this is actually true, but the actual Greek is a little bit more closer to a word that starts with S and rhymes with hit, okay? So excrement, a type of vibes. I know, did Paul swear? Who knows, okay? Don't bring that up. So he looks at all of that. He looks at the white picket fence. He looks at the 2.5 kids. He looks at the really, really good paying job. He looks at all of the power and influence. And he says, that is rubbish. That is crap in comparison, and here's what he's comparing all of the worldly resume to. He's comparing it to actually knowing the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. So here's my question for all of us in this room. Do we say we know Jesus while we strive for that? Can you strive for your resume while also knowing Jesus? So it can be something happened to Paul when he encountered Jesus. It wasn't this like religious kumbaya where he was like, oh, what do you think, Jesus? Oh, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> Maybe I'll believe in you or not. Like, no, no, it didn't happen. Jesus imploded into Paul's life. And everything about Paul changed. Some, one of the pastors I was listening to as I was stealing ideas for the sermon said he was thoroughly converted. Yeah, I do that every week. It's crazy. He was, <laughs> I know, sorry, exposing myself. He was thoroughly converted. Paul had been so drenched in religion, so drenched in resume building, and then he meets Jesus, someone who is so much more beautiful than anything this world can offer, and he says, that stuff is crap. 
So I'll come in. Here's one of the litmus tests of whether or not you see Jesus as beautiful. Is your resume more important to you than Jesus? Is what you achieve on this side of heaven more important to you than Jesus? Because here's the only thing that can happen when you see the radical beauty of Jesus. Everything else starts to look like crap. It has to change everything about who you are. There is no such thing as a Thursday night Christian. It has to impact everything about your life. So you saw coming, here's what we learn in verse 9. That Paul, he received Jesus' resume, his righteousness. I love the wording that Paul uses here. That he was found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The reason why he was able to leave all of his old life behind is because he found a much better resume, this time not his, but that of King Jesus. Okay, so as I call the worship man back up, here's how I want to end tonight. Here's what happens when you meet Jesus. You swap your resume for his. Your resume of all the stuff that you've ever wanted to do, you actually swap for the resume of Jesus' righteousness and all that he has ever done. And it makes you think to yourself, why would I ever want that resume when Jesus' resume is so much better? You, you swap your brokenness for his beauty. You swap your sinfulness for his salvation and you swap your rebellion for his righteousness. And when you receive the resume of Jesus, you are reminded and you realize that his resume is so much better than anything you could ever dream. Guys, I was, I was meeting with someone and today, and he's, he's a guy who's a freshman in St. Paul. And we we're talking about this because he had grown up in this really religious church where he kind of believed to himself, like, I got I to gotta really be pretty good for God to love me. And then, and then he actually stopped going. And he stopped associating with Christianity because here's what he told me. He was like, there's no way that I can be good enough for God to love me. So I'm just going to bail on this whole thing. I'm going to say, I don't believe in God. I'm not interested in this stuff. me. That's what religion does. It convinces people that you need to be good enough to get to God, but those people will eventually realize that that standard is far too high. And I just told him, I was like, dude, here's what's crazy. This is crazy good news. You know, it's the gospel. I was like, it's actually not about what you do, but it's actually more about what Jesus has done. It's not about whether you can climb your way up to God. It's that God climbed his way down to you. And I remember looking into his eyes over coffee today, and there were no lights. There wasn't a cool worship band. It wasn't a cool environment. And I remember looking into his eyes, and he literally was like, no one has ever told me that. That religion is about me, but Christianity is about Jesus. It's about following him. And it was this unbelievable moment where I saw the wheels turn in his mind. I was like, oh, my gosh, are you, like, becoming a Christian? Like, I had that thought, but I was like, I don't want to ask you. That would be awkward. But it was this amazing moment where I was like, dude, do you want to know more? He's like, I do. I want whatever that is. So I'll come to you. What happened to Paul is he encountered Jesus, and he was thoroughly converted. And he received in Christ not his resume, but Jesus' resume. And so here's the invitation that I have for all of us tonight. Rip up the stinking resume. The resume, the religious one sucks. Rip it up. Sucks so bad. It's not good. Rip up the irreligious resume. Rip up the resume full of things that you want to accomplish or do in this life. And take upon the resume of Jesus.
Okay, guys, I'm going to end a little bit differently tonight. I was really excited about this part, so I'm pumped. Here's what I'm going to end with. I want to actually show you guys the resume of Jesus throughout the entire book of the Bible, okay? We'll see how long we're here. Hopefully not that long. Just kidding. It'll be four minutes. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually show you what Jesus has done through every single book in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, I want to let you in on showing you how beautiful Jesus is. And here's my hope, is that when you would hear the resume of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation, that you would leave this place with a renewed perspective that the beauty of Jesus is so much more valuable than the rubbish of this life. Okay, let's get started. It's going to be long, so let's do it. Okay, here's who Jesus was in Genesis. He was the creator and the promised redeemer. In Exodus, he was the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is the high priest. In Numbers, he is the water in the desert. In Deuteronomy, he becomes the curse for us. In Joshua, he's the commander of the army of the Lord. In Judges, he delivers us from injustice. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. This is a good one. In 1 Samuel, he is the prophet, priest, and king. In 2 Samuel, he's the king of grace and love. In 1 Kings, he's a ruler greater than Solomon. In 2 Kings, he is the powerful prophet. In 1 Chronicles, he is the son of David that is coming to rule. In 2 Chronicles, he is a king who reigns eternally. In Ezra, he is the priest proclaiming freedom. In Nehemiah, He's the one who restores what is broken. In Esther, he's the protector of his people. In Job, he's the mediator between God and man. In Psalms, he is our song. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is our meaning. In the Song of Solomon, he is the author of faithful love. In a world of unfaithfulness, how beautiful it is that we have a king who was faithful. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he is the weeping Messiah. In Lamentations, he assumes God's wrath for us. In Ezekiel, he's the son of man. In Daniel, he's the other in the fire. Come on, Saul, come here. That's our song. Isn't that good? In Hosea, he is the faithful husband. In Joel, he is the spirit. In Amos, he delivers justice to the oppressed. In Obadiah, he's the judge of evil. In Jonah, he is the greatest missionary. In Micah, he casts away our sin. In Nahum, he proclaims a future peace. In Habakkuk, he crushes injustice. In Zephaniah, he is the warrior who saves. In Haggai, he restores our worship. In Zechariah, he is the promised Messiah that was pierced for us. We learned this at the crucifixion account that Jesus was prophesied for thousands of years and he fulfilled every single prophecy. In Malachi, that he is the son of righteousness. Come on, New Testament, let's go. In Matthew, he is the Messiah who is king. In Mark, he is the Messiah who is servant. In Luke, he is the Messiah who is deliverer. In John, he is the Messiah who is God in the flesh. In Acts, he's the spirit of God who dwells in his people. In Romans, he's the righteousness of God. First Corinthians, the power of God. And Second Corinthians, he's the down payment of God. Galatians, he is our very life. In Ephesians, he's the unity we need. Philippians, come on, let's stand for this. He is the joy of our life. Let's stand for the goodness of the king. In Colossians, he is supreme. In First Thessalonians, he is our comfort. In 2 Thessalonians, he is our returning king. In Timothy, he is the savior of sinners. 2 Timothy, he is the leader of leaders. In Titus, he is the foundation and the truth. We got a couple more. I literally got a side cramp right there, guys. That is crazy. Okay, let's finish her out. In Philemon, he is our mediator. In Hebrews, he is our high priest. In James, he matures our faith. In 1 Peter, he is hope in times of suffering. In 2 Peter, he is the one who guards us from false teaching. In 1 John, he is the source of all fellowship. Second John, he's a God in the flesh. Third John, he's the source of all truth. Jude, he protects us from suffering. And in Revelation, he's the King of Kings, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And one day he is coming back on a white stallion to redeem his entire world. That is Jesus, his resume. Come on, he's good. It's all company. 
My invitation for you tonight isn't to give up your resume for a lesser one. It's not to give up your dreams for a lesser ambition. It's to give up your resume for a far greater resume. Jesus' resume is written on every page of the entire Bible. Would you follow him and see that his resume is better? Father, we pray that you are good, you are righteous, and you are kind. And I love that, Jesus, you came to show us your resume through Genesis to Revelation, that you are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, and you are coming back one day on a white stallion to redeem this world. Father, we believe that is true. We believe that tonight you are writing new stories of grace in this room that maybe for some of us who grew up in a religious home, who grew up in a Christian home, who thought that's what saved us, Father, would you remind us that the only thing that can save is the blood of Jesus. Father, help us to remember that your resume is far greater than any resume in this life. Father, would we worship like that's true? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.